Today on Him We Proclaim, Dr. John Fonville talks about the glorious second coming of Jesus. For the unbeliever, this is a dreadful day. But for those who have put their trust and faith in Christ, it's a day of vindication and glory. Paul realizes that waiting for this most significant of days is arduous, because nobody knows when it's coming. In the meantime, the calling is for believers to live in a way that is worthy of the calling. What does that mean? Well, let's find out more in a message called Worthy of His Calling. Here's Pastor John with part two. Second, look what Paul prays for, verse 11c. He also prays that God would bring the believer's work of faith to completion. And so the bringing to completion every work of faith is the outward expression of the believer's inward desire for goodness. Does everybody get that? You have a desire inwardly to do good for others, and that work of faith is the expression of that desire to do good to them. And Paul says, not only, Father, work in them powerfully to desire to do good to others, but bring it to fruition. Every work of faith. And so this work of faith is so important. It is literally the work that faith produces. Genuine saving faith, Paul teaches, will produce good works. He's saying that faith works. Now, the scriptures are clear that justification is by faith alone, apart from works. But the justification that is by faith alone is not by a faith that is alone. Genuine saving faith necessarily produces good works of service to our neighbor. But these good works in no way merit our right standing with God. Listen to the Belgic Confession, Article 24. It says this, he says, We do good works, but not for merit. For what could we merit? Good works are never instrumental in salvation, neither in justification nor in sanctification. We are not saved by good works. Good works are not instrumental. Good works are only evidential. We are saved for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul says, We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. You see that? which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Martin Luther, he writes the following concerning the relationship of faith and works. He says, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. He's exactly right. Listen to what he continues. He says, faith is God's work in us that changes us. And gives us new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts. It it changes our spirits. It changes our thoughts. It changes all our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, 
and bold in your relationship to God and to all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. And because of faith, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone. That is exactly what Paul's praying here. Lord, give them a complete, fulfilled desire for goodness to others, and then bring that about so that they'll freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone. Is that not a beautiful prayer? And so Paul prays that God will bring to completion every desire to do good for others, which is a good work produced by faith. Now, notice carefully that when Paul prays for God to bring to completion the Thessalonians' spiritual maturity and then, of course, our spiritual maturity, he's implying that human ability is inadequate. It's impossible to do this. Paul's not talking about pull yourself up by your bootstraps and moral posturing and self-help and self-improvement. I heard a commercial this week on the radio, and it says, if you're having a failing marriage, come to this marriage seminar, and we're going to give you the seven keys to a happy, successful marriage, guaranteed that if you follow these principles, it will work for you. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, well, then why do we need Jesus and the gospel and grace and the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we'll just go to this seminar and forget church. Um, Paul's not talking about this here. Paul's prayer destroys the false notion that God helps those who help themselves. Paul's prayer teaches us the good news that God helps those who cannot help themselves. Paul drives home the fact that of human inability, when he adds one little phrase, if you read it too quickly, you'll miss it. Look what he does. He drives home the fact of human inability when he adds this phrase, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. He may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Look at this. By his power. It is vital to note that power here is not some abstract expression of God's attributes. It's not talking about the power of God in an abstract way. Paul, listen very carefully, has in mind the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He prayed for goodness and works of faith. Do you know what goodness and works of faith are? They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. They are works of the Spirit. They are products of faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul reminded the Thessalonians, he said, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but listen, but also in power. And what kind of power? In the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so Paul emphasizes that every desire for goodness... Every work of faith, every work produced by your faith is not the accomplishment of your ability. It is the fruit and work, power of the Holy Spirit. Believers are unable to produce good desires. That's our problem. 
We need to be liberated by Christ to have the proper desires. If you have desire for goodness, thank God the Holy Spirit's power is working in your life. If you have works of faith that do good for others, give thanks to God that the power of the Holy Spirit is working in your life. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that God brings to completion every desire for goodness and every act produced by our faith. It is only by the Holy Spirit's enabling power, Paul says, that we are made worthy citizens of the kingdom of God. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings, who brings to completion, right, the work that God had already begun. Our desires for goodness and works of faith, those good works are due to God the Holy Spirit working in us for his good pleasure. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For... It is God who works in you, both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. Clearly, then, being approved worthy by God when Jesus returns, being judged worthy by God when Jesus returns, is not to be understood as you're earning this exalted state of worthiness. It is not salvation by works. Paul makes it crystal clear in both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, let me just give you the summary, that our salvation is rooted solely in the grace of God. 2nd Thessalonians 1 verse 12, which we're coming to. That our salvation is rooted solely in God's electing grace. 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. That our salvation is, is rooted solely in God's subsequent effectual calling to faith through his gospel, both 1 Thessalonians 1.5 and here in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11 in Paul's prayer. Our salvation is rooted in God's work on our behalf. And the Thessalonians and you and I will be judged worthy of the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit, Paul prays, will make you worthy of his calling. You do not make yourself worthy by your good works. Good works, I'll say it again, are not instrumental in salvation ever. They are only evidential Paul knows that you and I, like these Thessalonians, need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to work out our faith in practical works of service of good to others. And so Paul teaches us that prayer is the means by which God has provided for obtaining the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and to grow spiritually. Paul and his missionary companions, he says, they pray constantly to God to supply what these young suffering converts needed. What is that? The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so there's one final feature of Paul's prayer I want you to see this morning. So we saw the motive of his prayer. We saw the petitions that he prays for, the content of his prayer. And third, let's look at the purpose of Paul's prayer. Look at what is the purpose that he's aiming for. Verse 12, he says, So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul explains that the purpose of the spiritual progress that he prays for for these believers, this is astonishing, hold on to your seat, is for a mutual glorification. When I read this this week and kept reading it and kept thinking about it, I kept shaking my head going, really? (laughs) Because a lot of uh, popular evangelical celebrity pastors like to talk about the glory of God all the time as if it has no benefit for you whatsoever. Just as long as God's glorified, he doesn't care about you. That's how you come across feeling when he's finished preaching. Apparently, he's missed this text. Because Paul says that he prays this prayer for the spiritual maturing completion of the believer's faith so that in the end there will be a mutual glorification. Well, who's going to be glorified? He tells us it is Jesus and his church. Now that almost sounds blasphemous to say that, doesn't it? I'm going to be glorified? Yep. You are. Paul says, verse 10, on that day, the day Jesus returns, Jesus will be glorified in the Thessalonians. He will be glorified in you and me. He'll be glorified in his church. On account of what they have become, Perfectly brought to a spiritual completion, full spiritual maturity, they'll be like Christ. And so when Jesus returns, Jesus will be glorified in, in, in his people on account of what they have become, and Jesus' people will be glorified in Jesus on account of who Jesus is. Believers will glorify Jesus' name, Paul says. Look at this. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Jesus' name, that is, the name means his reputation, his honor, which was being dishonored in the city of Thessalonica through all the persecution. Acts 17, verse 7, oh, there's another king, Jesus. It's a derogatory way to speak of him. Paul says his name will be exalted. His honor and reputation will be glorified on that day. Why? Because God's people will stand before God in the judgment as a completed worthy product of the Spirit's power. The name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in us by virtue of the Holy Spirit's transforming idolatrous pagans into worthy citizens of his perfected kingdom. He will take unworthy, disgusting, idolatrous sinners like you and me, and through a process, the Holy Spirit, through his power, will make us to look like Jesus. 
And that glorifies God and his grace for doing that. And then the astonishing point comes is never, I've never heard my whole life till now, today, which I was so excited to get to this point. Paul says it is not only the Lord who will be glorified when Jesus returns, but God's people will be glorified in him. You will be glorified. Paul most likely has in mind Jesus' high priestly prayer and his theme of glory from John 17. I want you to listen to how Jesus prays to his father in John 17, verses 10 and 22. So here we, we, we peel back the curtains and we have an insight into the conversation of the father and the son in terms of what they want to do for their people. And listen to what Jesus prays. Father, all mine, that is all my people, all mine are yours. And yours, your people are mine. And I am glorified in them. You see that? That is identical to Paul's prayer here. And then verse 22, the glory, Father, that you have given me, I have given to them. Do you want me to read that again? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That's just astonishing. That they may be one, even as we are one. The believer's likeness to Christ means glory for them. The goal of God making believers worthy is that they be transparent vessels prepared by the power of the Holy Spirit to reflect the glory of Christ. Paul says, this is why I pray. I want you to recall the first thing in the Nicene Creed that we recite and confess about the Holy Spirit. We confess that the Holy Spirit is one of my favorite lines in the Creed. We confess that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? It is the Holy Spirit who gives new life, and it is the Holy Spirit, Paul says, who beautifies the Christian life. He is, the, he is the one, he is the eternal God who makes believers worthy of God's calling. He is the one who beautifies the believer to make them worthy, to be considered judged worthy of entering the perfected kingdom when Jesus returns. There is no hope of being made worthy of God's kingdom apart from the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And if you think God helps those who helps themselves, Christ died for nothing and the Holy Spirit was poured out for nothing. The Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, in the promise of the new covenant, 
the Holy Spirit gives us new life through the preaching of the gospel. And then through that new life, he beautifies us. And how does he do that? By causing us to walk in his statutes and to be careful to obey his rules. Let me tell you what Paul, how Paul says that. To make us worthy, to make us walk worthy of God's calling. The Spirit does this. Uh, William Tyndale had a great insight. He said, where the Spirit is, there it is always summer. This is why. For there are always good fruits. That is to say, good works. And so lest anyone conclude, wrongly conclude, that such an exalted state of being worthy, judged worthy, like Christ, glorified because of Christ. If anybody wrongly concludes that reaching that state is by one's own ability, look how Paul concludes his prayer as we finish. He says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, the name of the Lord will be glorified in us And we will be glorified in Jesus solely by grace alone. It is not your work. It is not your ability. It is the power of grace. Don't ever let anybody try to tell you grace leads to licentious living. Grace beautifies your life to make you worthy of entering his kingdom. Paul says that the only source of our initial conversion, of our ongoing spiritual maturity, and of our final glorification is grace. Salvation is by grace alone, beginning, middle, and end. Salvation, justification is by grace alone. Sanctification is by grace alone. Glorification is by grace alone. It is by grace that every believer is made worthy to enter the glory of God's perfected kingdom. Which means this, no one, when Jesus returns, will enter God's kingdom and say, wow, What a wonderful job of cooperation I did with the Holy Spirit to make myself worthy. I think I'll just walk right on in. Paul obliterates that here. What an amazing thought that Christ, who died, was buried, rose from the dead for us, who sent the Holy Spirit to bring our spiritual growth to completion and is also coming again, will glorify us. That's great service, is it not? It's just unfathomable. Our good works, which are the fruit of the Spirit, which are the product of faith, which all are rested in grace, will glorify the name of the Lord. And then by grace alone, Paul says, we will be made worthy by the Spirit, worthy by grace. 
and thereby perfectly reflect the likeness of Christ, and in a secondary way, we will be glorified and exalted. And listen, Christ's prayer in John 17 will come to full consummation. That's what Paul's praying for here, and that's how we pray for people, and that's how we learn to pray. And I'm telling you, this week, my prayer life has changed. Learn to pray like this. So let's pray. And so, Father, uh, we, we, we just stand in awe of the, the realities of this prayer that Paul has taught us here. And we thank you. We thank you for this hope. And so it is to this end. It is with a, with a view towards your coming again, both in vindication and in vengeance to be glorified. It is with this in view that, like Paul, we pray, God, make us worthy of your calling. Bring to completion every desire to do good to others. Bring to completion every work of faith in our life. And do this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. And that we ultimately, through Jesus, would be glorified as well, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Worthy of His Calling, Part 2. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday, and it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 